Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about science in anime. And we aren't obviously all experts at science. In fact, I am probably the furthest from it. But in regards to actual science, you know, anime really, really likes to focus on science and sci-fi stories. And even beyond that, sometimes they like to blend supernatural and sci-fi elements together. For example, they kind of did it recently with Healer Girl, which is, you know, these three girls who sings and they heal people and they claim rather than it's like a supernatural being or a supernatural activity, there is a science behind music to healing, which actually is also true. There is a science behind music in regards to healing, but not in the magical way that the anime showed. So as a whole, anime has always been very, very creative with its science showing, sometimes downright bonkers to the point that we have no idea like what they're talking about, and other times very insightful in ways that we learn new things. So we have a sort of a wide spectrum of like science topics for us to discuss today. And ultimately, we just want to talk about the anime in which the science elements part have stood out to us and made us want to talk about it, whether it is in a good or a bad way. So we are back from Anime Expo. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still exhausted. and still trying to regain my bearings of things. Uh, so this is actually my first big activity since of uh, returning from Anime Expo. So I will try my best to sound coherent. Uh, the first anime that I pick, picked for talking about science um, is the Science Fell in Love, but it's particularly one episode, if you guys don't mind me just focusing on that one episode, because a lot of the stuff they talk about do kind of go over my head. A lot of time, I don't know how accurate it is, whether it's right or wrong. And so there's no way for me to really vouch on the accuracy of it. And heck, they might actually um, be wrong and they just sound extremely accurate. But the or I guess it's actually it spans across two episodes. But the part that I am fairly knowledgeable about is psychology, which is a type of science. And I, I read a lot of psychology. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of professional articles and such. And I also watch a lot of videos from psychologists and therapists when they talk about sort of the things they see at their work sessions with their clients, obviously not giving, you know, detailed information because that would be against the law and against confidentiality, but overall providing some good general knowledge for the public to understand. So I, my breadth of knowledge on psychology is a little more than um, than I would say the average person because of that and just my overall interest in it. And Science Fell in Love, the second season, actually did cover moments of psychology that was really, really exciting for me and not something that I was expecting at all. And so the part that like got me and I was really surprised they mentioned it uh, was the fact that there was at one point, you know, it seemed like the main couple, uh, Yukimura, Himuro, uh, uh, they kind of felt beaten down by this other science couple because it seemed like they just like their saliva showed like this particular chemical, which shows happiness and joy a lot higher compared to the, compared to the two of them when they spend time together. And so they're like, oh my God, this is 
actually mean we're not in love versus this other couple who like knows they're in love and thus like are so showing such higher ratings and stuff. But uh, Yukimura, he actually ended up pulling out psychology on the fact is that, you know, the way that your brain works and releases chemicals when you're in a relationship is kind of similar to how your brain reacts to drugs. And this is actually very proven science, which is why relationships can feel so addicting sometimes. And if anything, being in love with the person is in many ways being addicted to a person because the way that they release dopamine and the way that it affects the brain is almost replicated between that. And, uh, and, you know, if anyone are still wondering, like, you know, why people have a hard time, you know, leaving a toxic relationship, well, you kind of have your answer right there. And, you know, there's always multiple factors to as to why someone can't leave a relationship, including especially if like kids are involved, that becomes a whole other thing. But a lot of times it can feel a little impossible to leave. And it's quite literally because their brain has become addicted to a person instead of a particular drug. And I think we all know that addiction of any sort is extremely hard to break. And that is no exception when it comes to humans and relationships. And so you can use that example to show that being in a relationship isn't like a constant high all the time. It proves that relationships comes with highs and lows which is why it which is why even though his like ratings of a particular chemical a happiness chemical is lower than the other couple doesn't necessarily mean that the two, that that the two of them aren't in love and of course they are in love everyone knows that even a blind person can see that essentially but the um but the thing is i thought that was really interesting how he pulled that in because that I, I haven't really heard that spoken about before. It's only in one particular case where um, where a psychologist on a podcast talked about it, but it was very brief and I hadn't heard it ever since in any of my other ventures into actual like, you know, psychology, uh, you know, breakdowns of how relationships work and what happens when it turns bad or when it's good, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was really surprising to see uh, Science Never Falls in Love, you know, discuss that factor of relationships is that, yes, believe it or not, our brains kind of emulate how it how we are when we're on drugs in regards to being in love with a different person. So that was like the first part of the show that like really caught my eye. Have any of you do heard of that, by the way, the fact that, like, you know, our brain tends to release chemicals and similar patterns to when someone is addicted to drugs when we're in love with the person? I haven't heard that analogy before, but it makes a lot of sense considering that uh, in my field of study, I did have to study neurobiology at some point and neuropharmacology. So this makes actually a lot of sense to me too. <laughs> yeah. I personally majored in neurobiology, so hey, ah! there we go. All of that <laughs> definitely makes sense. I... Yeah, like you said, I also took a class on kind of like drugs and the effects of that, especially with the neurotransmitters and things like that. So <laughs> it all makes sense. It's basically the same type of pathway, whether, you know, it's a different type of neurotransmitter or not. Um, and, you know, if you're madly in love, you might have that surge of dopamine similar to anything else Uh especially activities that really excite you and things like that. Um, so it's basically the same type of pathway. Of course, it's a little different depending on what the situation is and how that affects your brain in general, uh, whether it's 
you know, through consuming things or just that psychological aspect of it. So I had not seen science, uh, that anime, science, science try to prove it, but I try to fall, fall in love or something. <laughs> um, but I've been curious about it because the, the title of it makes me interested in seeing how they prove, you know, how they interact with love and how that they can have a, or find that scientific basis for it. I think you'll probably like the second season more than the first season because the first season is a lot of theoretical math. That's true. Instead of yeah. like uh, neurobiology. So, which I will point out that for the most part, I think season one of science fell, science fell in love and I tried to prove it. It's pretty accurate because I've seen a lot of those probabilities like in statistics and stuff. And I'm oh, just like, oh, this interesting. looks very familiar. So yeah, like when you're when you're in a scientific laboratory or like a research lab, you know, you have all the data that you need from like images and stuff like that. But you also need to aggregate data into graphs, into charts. And so statistics, calculus play a huge role in that. So all of these make uh, all of these are very familiar to me. And I'm like, yeah, this looks about right. <laughs> I may not be a stats major, I may not major in theoretical chemistry, physics, and whatnot, but all of this was very familiar to me as an undergrad going through um, a STEM major. I was going to ask you, like, did I, like, and I think you kind of answered the question, like, was the work that they were doing the way they went about their research kind of similar to what you've experienced before while you're- <laughs> I will say, in general, people who work in a research lab, they're kind of back funny. <laughs> in the sense that they will try anything to anything with science. Wow. Like they will do the like the weirdest the the fact that Himuro and his coworkers decide like, oh, let's test this absurd notion of love. And you have that one lay person in the lab that's like, why are we doing this again? Is a very realistic situation that happens in a research lab. You know, some of the people in research lab have like these really like, you know, people in the professional working world for research labs, clinical labs and stuff like that. They're very um, professional, they're very, they are very smart, they're very austere, but graduate students in a laboratory at the very beginning of their career, they're kind of crazy. <laughs> they come up with weird stuff. They to all do are kind of like, crazy experiment. as well in yeah, the they're show. Kinda, yeah, that's how like innovation works in science, right? Is that some people have to be kind of like wired a bit differently. They call it neurotic, mm -hmm. right? That's the, the adjective word for somebody who's kind of like not all there in a sense, but kind of also in a good way because they have all these ideas and they think outside the box, which is what spurs science innovation. So seeing Himuro and his co-workers sit there and try to come up with all these probability cases and then at one point talk about how uh, simulation of romance simulation games like Otome games have like all these different probability pathways. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like what the people at my research lab would do. <laughs> I, my 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 grad people were studying for a test from hell. So <laughs> I know, I know, you guys are studying the CPA. Yes, yes. Uh, that being said, I do want to give one last shout out to Science Fell in Love. So Isabel, I do want to say the Science Fell in Love the last arc ended really badly. So I don't want to oh, get okay. your hopes too up. So. Anything with Yukimura and Himuro, who is the main character, has been great. And it does deal a lot with, you know, what you studied in school. And 
I was also 10 times more interested in because following the statistical side of things was a little tiring on my brain sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I understand. Yeah, I think at one point, even stats majors at one point, they kind of just tire looking at stats and are like, forget it. I want to turn off my brain. <laughs> okay, good. That- you start seeing the P's, you start seeing the standard deviations, you start seeing all this stuff. Yeah, it's pretty typical for us. Yeah, <laughs> so that makes me feel better. Uh, but yeah, so the last arc, unfortunately, was just very weird and not well done on, because, and it doesn't really feel focus on the main couple it focus on on another character that being said there is another episode that really shocked me and I was like DMing Jack as I was talking because I was never expecting to get this from this show is research about you know homosexuality and how there is scientific research done on it and they basically the episode basically said that scientifically these people are normal and they exist and that's how it is. And there is an incredibly interesting research that apparently was done in joint between uh, Great Britain and the U.S. where they uh, developed. This is where the development of a scale was created for sexuality. So from scale zero, it means that you are completely straight. You're only ever attracted to the opposite gender. And then um, and then on on the other end of the scale. So scale five means you're completely gay. You're only attracted to the person of like your own sex. And then from one to four is varying sort of levels of how much you are attracted to both genders. So one in that case would be you're mostly attracted to people of um, the opposite sex. But in unique circumstances of one or two individuals, you can't help but find them attractive. And um, and of course, three is right smack dab in the middle, which is about as bisexual as you can get. But essentially, one through four are all just varying levels of bisexuality. And zero is straight and five is uh, gay. And they actually, through multiple, multiple studies, prove that amongst younger generation, it is around 46% of people who are uh, who are straight. And one of the characters had this hilarious reaction where she was like, wait, so more than 50% of people have a chance to become BL? And, so, and I thought that was so funny, but I never thought about it in percentage-wise. And I'm like, if you break it down like that, like, wow, yeah, that is, uh, that would technically mean more people are in the LGBTQ community than they are in the straight community, but the ones are probably more likely to be grouped with um, the zeros because they are those people who have like one or two individuals that they find attractive in the same gender, but the majority of them are still attractive to- attractive towards uh, of the opposite sex. But regardless, I thought that was a fascinating part for the series to show and essentially, the uh, it, it's the layback character, uh, Agnes, the one that like just sits on the couch and like lays there and stuff like that. She was the one who talked about this, uh, yeah, yeah. and she basically said, you know, of course, you know, those percentages are different between older generations, mainly because of their, uh, mainly because of how taboo the topic is compared to now, as well as the fact that you know the understanding of how it works is also different. And then she said cultural differences were. Um, Cultural differences were taken into account, but considering the fact that um, sexuality by itself and who you're attracted to is very much on the genetic based level and nothing else like that by that effect, that means cultural doesn't really have an effect. And 
the accurate percentages between countries are likely to be well reflected within each other and very close. And I just thought that whole segment was fascinating that they would talk about this. And I thought it was just done really well and really tastefully while also added with a funny element because one of the uh, one of the characters is a BL writer. So she was like, yes, you know, <laughs> like this is music to my ears, like sort of situation. So that was the other part of Science Fell in Love that really stood out to me. Anyway, so my second pick is uh, Cells at Work. And this one I had claimed early on because I did take three years of biology in high school. So I think biology is the only thing that, well, aside from psychology, but biology is the only thing that I do have like an understanding of. So Cells at Work really fascinated me because I genuinely understood what was going on and what each of the cells are for and why they are doing those things and stuff like that. And I just thought it was so creative and so fun. Uh, the uh, Cells at Work Black, I think, is actually a great anime and a great story to tell because I've seen people on Reddit who, like, after starting watching Cells at Work Black, started to take care of their bodies more seriously and started to, you know, realize that there are living things inside them that is dependent on how they treat their bodies. And uh, and in particular, one was like, if this series doesn't wake you up and let you start realizing how much of a living creature your body is, aside from just your sense of self, like you clearly did not actually watch the anime and appreciate it for what it is. And so I thought that was great to see that sort of inspiring, healthier behaviors in people. In particular, for me, the episode that stood out in Cells at Work Black is the fact that coffee or caffeine, and it shows the effect of being addicted to caffeine and how it's like a slow creep. But once it happens, it's you're pretty suck in. And unfortunately, I do know friends who have actually become addicted to caffeine and breaking and they don't want to break out of it at all. Because when I try to, I showed them that I talked to them about the episode and what happened. And I was like, you can't just like depend on caffeine for this. They will push back and be like, but I can't live without it. And I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. and there's a part of them that's so much in um, denial. I, well, actually, I wouldn't even say denial because they know it's bad for them. But there's a part of them that's so unwilling to let go that they don't, even want to watch the episode I would be like okay then just watch the episode watch the episode you can so you can see what it does to you and they refuse to because they don't want to see it because they know that would probably spur them or guilt them to want to stop and they they just don't want to and so uh but regardless I thought it was like a that episode really stuck with me and you know um and as a whole I thought that it's just such a creative way to talk about the body and all the things that happen inside you, but in a way that is so interesting and, you know, engaging and entertaining because really our bodies are fascinating. There's so many things there that, you know, operates in its own way. Uh, one of my favorite characters is like one of the white blood cells that like is in an umbrella and has like his face mask or in like a raincoat and has his face mask and all that stuff. And He's like one of the three types of uh, neutrophils like a, or a white blood cells. But to this day, humans are scientists aren't completely sure what exactly his job is because of the fact that, you know, they have an idea of it, but they're not like explicitly sure. And so he's that mysterious character who like shows up randomly and then just disappears. And everyone's just like, what What does he do? And I thought that was just so funny in, in context to actual like his uh, scientific research of uh, still of our bodies that they're still unknown so 
Anyway, so yeah, so that's my second pick. And I do know, Agnes, you've watched that one because you wrote a whole article about that before in the past. So what do you think about the science in this anime? <laughs> oh, it's it's pretty accurate. I mean, all over Reddit, there are so many people who have commented, um, a lot of biology, a lot of STEM majors have commented about the facts that are provided in here. I did also study immunology as part of my... Um, uh, electives for college and so all of this makes a lot of sense to me and also for working out in the the field right now as well so cells at work is a great way to kind of educate people on how to take care of your bodies what your body's actually doing how hard working your body is and kind of tell you to you know scale back on maybe a couple things alcohol caffeine etc i will also say that it doesn't help that with caffeine we have uh the west has a very big caffeine culture yes in general mm -hmm. that so we have starbucks we have pete's coffee we have a lot of different coffee chains and a lot of people that are very supportive of energy drinks that have a lot of caffeine like red bull monster etc so that they can pull through studying and stuff like that so i can also see why on top of your friends being addicted to coffee, they, they are constantly surrounded by it in society that they can't stop. Uh, my dad is one of those as well. He was a big coffee addict. And that's because in France, you know, there's a lot of coffee shops too. So, you know, it's not uncommon to plop down with an afternoon coffee, like a, like a, a, a double espresso or something, and then just go on to have your day afterwards, you know? So that's very common. But yeah, make sure you watch it. Uh, take care of your bodies um, and be nice to your body too because <laughs> that thing's the only thing that's keeping you alive at this point. Yeah, for sure. And what did you think of it, uh, Isabel? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I only watched, I think, the first season though um, because at the time when I did watch it, I was taking a bunch of biology classes and I'm like, I'm kind of done seeing a lot of cells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, I have to study actually. So yeah, but then I thought it was a great show. Uh, I think educationally as well, I've seen, you know, videos of, you know, doctors reacting to it or mm -hmm. um, teachers showing it to their children or kids in class. And I think that's a great example because I've never really seen other shows like that. The only one I can remember back in the 2000s was like Osmosis Jones. And oh, yeah. That's what people were comparing it to. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like that that's, bring, you know, brought back um, in anime and um, in Ozzy and Drix, uh, Ozzy's the white blood cell and he's kind of like the red blood cell and cells at work because he's kind of hot headed. So it's it's interesting to see that kind of switched in between the two characters where you know the red blood cells doing things are in the white blood cells kind of like uh, kind of on the cooler side and trying to be level headed, um, but he also kills like crazy. So I like these I I like how they are able to put these characters and put ourselves into motion and kind of show exactly what they do in our bodies because we really don't know. Uh, if you look under a microscope, you'll just see little things moving around and. I don't really know what what they are so <laughs> yep there you go yeah and i think the nice thing too is that cells at work synthesizes a lot of the breadth of medical and immunology knowledge about the body because mm -hmm. while watching cells at work and then comparing my notes for class i'm like they like barely scratched the surface so it's a really nice kind of like info teaser for people who are like non-science majors like gracie or for people who just kind of want to kick back but watch something more educational yeah so Anyway, those are my two picks. So the non-STEM girl is done. She is out. I uh, A little tidbit for the listeners. I was nervous because I am. I don't know a lot about science. So I was like, oh no, what will I ever do? But 
I anyway, I did actually pick two that I do feel a lot for. So I am happy um, that I was able to talk about them as well as for this topic to be picked. So but that being said, I am much more interested into hearing what the other two have to say, because they have, as you guys have already heard, very direct knowledge and experience in regards to them. So I am passing the baton now to Isabel. Isabel, what are two anime in which the science just stood out to you, whether in a good way or a bad way. Yeah, I think my first pick is pretty obvious. It'll it'll be Steins Gate. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. I thoroughly enjoyed that show. It's definitely not in my major, so um, you know, the theory of time travel is very based in physics and mm-hmm. based on a bunch of theories, a lot of theories really on time travel, which I don't think you know we haven't proven that people can time travel and things like that. Um, but I think Steinsgate does a great job at trying to kind of making it work and trying to explain that you can use a phone and a microwave to possibly make a time machine. So it's very convincing in that sense. Um, I personally like the idea of how Okabe was trying to, you know, he did it on accident that he sent a text message to himself, uh, to his friend in the past, and that changed all the events. And that kind of sets off the tone for the whole show of him you know, accidentally keep on sending these messages, but attracting attention of people that want to build the time machine. And yeah, it just goes over that whole theory of how to build a time machine. If black holes are involved, they, the idea between the phone microwave is that they kind of create a tiny black hole. I don't, they kind of go over it like later in the series. Um, but the fact that they're able to do that and then also have uh, Kurisu's like, logic um, and her research. Um, I hope we're getting there. This is an interesting concept of having your memories uh, as data, like physical data being sent mm. back to you in the past. And so that's kind of interesting. That um, So they kind of honed in on that, used that so that Okabe could go back into the past himself and still you know, having the memories of his future self uh, kind of go forward with that and try to change the events of what happens in Steins Gate. And I know a lot of people love Steins Gate based off not only the visual novel, but just like the series in general and how it explores all these topics. And it combines a lot of the drama as well as romance and just trying to save his friends. Um, so I think that's the reason why I really love that show and how it represents science in a theoretical way, but it's enough for someone to kind of understand it and be like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is what the team is doing. And um, they're time time traveling into the past. And also just kind of like the different timelines, because Okabe does go past different between the alpha line and beta line, as they call it, um, to try to avoid certain events. Um, But you'll realize that there are some events that cannot be avoided. And that's kind of like the whole series premise that they're trying to find different ways. I don't know if... um, Either of you have watched Steins Gate or I know we've talked about it before, but I always forget. I watched like a good half of the first season of Steins Gate and I kind of waned between really interested in it because I did find the concept of the microwave going Mm -hmm. back in time was super interesting. Like it turns a banana into like a mush, but not like banana mush, but it's like a mush of cells, you know, goopy green cells. I thought that was really interesting. And so that's that shows like how like the banana eventually like congeals, it comes together and forms an actual shape with the uh, with the cells accumulating and whatnot. But I think sort of the slow 
pacedness of Steins Gate in the middle section of season one kind of derailed my interest for a while. So I was never actually able to finish it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, but I have heard good things about the end of Steins Gate and also I think it was the second season mm-hmm. of Steins Gate, the one that comes after it and how it's like really depressing, but it's also really good. So I am trying to figure out how to incorporate that back into my anime schedule and actually finish it for once. Yeah, the slice of knife, slice of life parts of it, I think I agree, like towards in the middle, you're just kind of wondering, you know, what is this going? What happened to the time travel part? Or like, yeah, yeah, how yeah, many yeah, times yeah. is he yeah. going to do this, right? And I think it's yeah. towards the end that they pull it all together. So it's like kind of waiting for that to happen. So yeah, I do, I do agree. You kind of have to push through to see what exactly happens and how, you know, all these timelines come together and how um, Okabe is basically able to find this one timeline that works for him. And then mm-hmm. also going into the second season, which uh, goes, which dives deeper into kind of like time, uh, the time machine itself, and some of the other characters as well. Uh, but yeah, Gracie, have you uh, tried uh, watching Steins Gate or any thoughts on that or what you've heard? Mm-hmm. So I have seen Steins Gate. I did really, really enjoy it, and I really liked it. And you know, it's rated very high, and I agree with a lot of the high ratings. I admittedly actually didn't care too much about the science part because I was more focused on the drama and the relationships and sort of what you were talking about on how, you know, sometimes there's things you just can't avoid. Like that sort of themes and thematics and stories are one of my favorites. And uh, and it's some it's the emotional part of it that connects with me more rather than the idea of the potential behind time travel and stuff. So uh, so I. I loved it for a reason that is completely sort of removed from the science part of it. (laughs) But yeah, that's, um, I mean, yeah, definitely the drama is great. And I think it adds to that time travel aspect. I feel like if the drama wasn't there, you know, the time travel wouldn't be that important. Or if he was just doing it, experimenting with it, it would be a very, very different type of show, right? So Mm -hmm, Exactly. Mm -hmm. I have two questions for you quickly, Isabel, just out of curiosity. The first one is, do you think time travel uh, exists? That's a hard question. Um, based on the <laughs> theories, possibly, because the theory that Steinsgate goes with is that there's black holes, and that's how, and in a black hole, you don't really know um, exactly how, it's kind of based on the fact that there's um, there's a way to switch between time and space. And that's how you're able to kind of travel in that, in that black hole. The thing is, you don't want to get into the singularity, which is the, the part of the black hole where you basically get sucked in there and disappear for all you know. So yeah, you definitely want to go there, which is why you have that banana that comes back as a gel. But is it, I think it's possible, but I don't know how, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard to say. Um, and not only that, there's like other concept of like multiverse and things like that. So there's mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of theories based on it, and I think there is a scientific backing for it, but really proving it and really, really being able to time travel, I think that's a different type of story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, my second question is, do you kind of think like that sort of restoring or like uh, capturing memories, you know, and being able to like uh, save memories, it's kind of like happening now with, you know, social media and you know, years like, you know, years ago when I when I was a kid or when we were all growing up, um, you know, photographs are the most amazing thing in the world. And, you know, we when we will record videos that we can play on our TV, I 
I'm sure none of us thought like today we can just whip out a tiny little device and record everything with our voice or, you know, with our voice, with movements. It's in like a, it's in like a huge cloud system that will never run out of space. And then on top of that, you can add all these little extra decorations to it to make it like prettier and flashier and stuff. Snapshot. Yeah, like a snapshot of things. <laughs> or TikTok. Yeah. And so, uh, and so it's just like, do you think like it's fairly close at hand, you know, or do you kind of feel like social media and sort of our technology already can kind of capture the feeling of, you know, memories in that sense? Uh. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. I think um, that they touch upon this in Steins Gate Zero, which is the second season, where um, Okabe meets Kurisu, but um, Kurisu's not there in a sense, um, but her memories are stored in that, and she's able to kind of replicate um, how she would actually act if she were still alive. Um, and I think that's possible with like AI and things like that. If you gather enough, you know, experience from this person and you save it into some type of, you know, computer device and save a store, all that data, I think it's possible to replicate someone. Like if you put them into like a robot and have that person kind of like save their memories, like if you, you would feel like you're still talking to that person. Right. You know, based, mm -hmm. off, based off what they have. Of course, there probably is a limitation, right? Because they're still growing moving into the future but i think it's entirely possible to like have them exist for a while longer if they did pass away mm -hmm. i think the only thing that would be difficult to replicate in terms of memories is the sensation and feeling of the memory yeah. because we are humans and we associate like uh they talk about how the sense of smell is the the one of the biggest sensory things that you have that can trigger memory so like if you smell something like your mom's home cooking you're like instantly transported back to like your childhood right i don't think we still have enough data or machines or resources to be able to kind of replicate that transform it into like data points and particles and also have that be stored along with the more visual um memories that we have okay got it well Thank you both for answering my question in this regard. <laughs> yeah, those are great questions. Um, but yes, I'll move on to my second one. Uh, my second one isn't a hard science. It's kind of more like a branch of science, I would say. Uh, but it's how heavy are the dumbbells you lift? Oh, oh okay. 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 <laughs> Exercise science. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think it's exciting because I think nowadays, you know, a lot of people are going to the gym and there's a lot more focus on being healthy and doing strength training, uh, which is the focus of how heavy are the dumbbells you lift. And I just think it's a fun show because it's it's educational, because it goes over kind of the muscle groups that you're working with, um, and then kind of a little bit of the exercises that you would do at the gym. And um, the series follows Hibiki, who's totally not into working out at all. Like, she's probably- the Sounds most like me! <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> She's probably the most relatable character in the series because you'll be like, that's me. I'm, I'm going to eat like crazy. I'm also going to dread working out like crazy. That's her type of character. She she dreads it. She doesn't want to work out, but she signs up for a gym because she has no other choice. You know, she starts trying to run and gives up after two days. What a mood. <laughs> like what an me. actual mood. <laughs> oh, running is so boring. Running by yourself is boring, <laughs> I will say. It is hard, yeah. And then doing home workouts, she tries that, and she also gives up. So she tries to sign oh, up. Oh yeah. So she signs up for this shiny new gym, and she's like, "Oh, I don't really want to pay this, but, but <laughs> membership fees." I was doing that a couple weeks ago, oh, looking were? at membership fees. <laughs> 
But yeah, she meets her trainer who's like super hot and she's like, okay, I'm sold. You're my trainer <laughs> and I'm going to try this. Um, and it's nice that she has a buddy, uh, Akemi, who's kind of like the perfect girl. She's like, you know, in the school, she's like the class president and things like that. And her family's super rich, but she <laughs> she has a fetish over muscles. And so it's interesting that she's there as well because everything that she sees in the gym, she's like amazed about. But she's also a good resource for just kind of like talking about how the exercises can be done. And they also focus on surprisingly kind of like the diets that um, people try to do. Mm, yeah. And kind of like, you know, if you want more protein and lower calories type of thing. If you're on this type of diet, um, they also focus on kind of uh, bodybuilders and what they do as well. Um, the show in general is kind of silly um, because it, it, it focuses on the fitness part and highlighting the muscle groups and what you're working out. Um, but there's also times where they're just doing silly things that doesn't make any sense um, as well. So I think it's a good representation of kind of like biomechanics and how you're studying your muscles and how they move and taking care of your body. But I also think it's very fictional in the sense that, like, for example, the trainer, he like rips off his clothes by just flexing his muscles. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't exist. Yeah. You, you don't do that in real life. <laughs> Although I have seen a tweet, there's a viral tweet that's going around right now of a guy who's having like, he has, he's like super muscular and his pectorals, because he can twitch his pectorals, he can apparently type on a keyboard. I don't know if you guys what? seen that. Wait, I yet. saw that. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, you saw that, right? Yes. I'm just like, I don't even know if this is true or if this is like kind of photoshopped into the video. But that's really interesting that you point that out too, Isabel, because it's like, you can't rip a t-shirt per se by flexing, but you can twitch your pectorals. And I heard like ripping shirts are actually pretty hard to do, right? <laughs> they are because of the, of how the, like, especially like cotton t-shirts and stuff and how the fabrics and the, the threads interwoven together to create like a lattice. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to actually like break free of that. And that's why t-shirts are like super sturdy. Science behind t-shirts exists too, guys. <laughs> Textiles. Mm -hmm. Textiles are very interesting. Learn more about it. But that's really cool. Um, I do definitely, I should actually watch it because I am somebody who is sort of into fitness or at least physical activity too. Um, but I don't regularly work out at the gym. So maybe this will actually be my motivation to go work out at the gym. But I wanted to say that it's cool that they have a show like that now because there is a huge boon in uh, like uh, rehab therapy. Like, like occupational uh, therapy, um, kinesiology, and exercise science in university. So mm -hmm. that's like a really kind of like nice push towards that. It's not necessarily a super hardcore science like chemistry or like physics, but it is still important because it's making sure like how to keep your body in good shape without actually breaking it down so far with like uh, over-exercising and stuff like that. Or like eating the wrong diet and you're constantly depleting your body of certain nutrients too. Right, that's right. And it's especially important for athletes as well. Um, so yeah. kind of like focusing on that, how athletes train and, you know, you can't overtrain as well because um, that yeah. only hurts your body, right? It's not always good to be doing that. So there's always a balance to be had and you can get very methodical with it, you know, counting your calories or just kind of like um, knowing how much time you're spending on these workouts. So there's a lot of things you can do with that. And that's why we have trainers as well that help us. Uh, sometimes you think you can do it by yourself, but it's better to have a teacher as well, um, which is what the show teaches you and how they also gain, you know, more followers um, and group members as well in the show. But yeah, I just thought that was a nice highlight. Gracie, any any other thoughts? or? No, uh, so I didn't watch that anime because I wasn't interested in exercising. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
which has understandable, its, which has its own errors. Uh, to share a funny story, because Agnes does like we always say Agnes is physically the strongest out of us. Oh, Isabel, you weren't with us. So at Anime Expo the first day, um, before you arrived, I was stupid and I got like my purse like um zipper snagged in like a plastic thing inside because I wasn't paying attention. And we finally decided we had to like just strong arm like open the purse as the best way to oh. figure out what to do and it was me jack uh one of our editors who i don't know if she wants her name mentioned or not it's another she but uh one of our other editors and agnes and the i obviously couldn't because i'm weak and the other two yeah and we tried actually picking apart the plastic bag that got cut in the zip caught in the zipper with tweezers and that didn't even work we Whoa. had like two different tweezers mm-hmm. two different knives that we found in the airbnb place and literally tried to pick lock out and like remove bits of the plastic but it kept shredding so the zipper was was still stuck in the purse and gracie was fretting because her phone and her wallet are in there which is also really important to confirm our airbnb <laughs> right and so basically agnes ended up being the only one who could like strong arm the zipper open and once we were able to do that we finally were able to get it like untangled and get it the purse working to its full capacity again but um the whole thing of, like the muscle thing and how agnes was talking about it i was like haha yes very agnes and isabel as well in regards to you know how you guys take care of your bodies and stuff and also a fun fact in my head i kind of instead of going like the the meme where it's like i need a man i need a man instead i'm just like i need agnes where's agnes <laughs> 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 it's also really funny because that same night uh since we're staying at anime expo in an airbnb we bought like some basic groceries to eat like in the morning and make coffee and stuff and at one point after we finished picking up groceries at like 7 8 p.m we were leaving my car to go back to the airbnb and i told gracie like oh hey hold this for me because i need to get something else out of the car and she literally like dropped it to the floor she's like it's too heavy and i was like girl it's just a bag of groceries there's like three items in there it was oh it was it had a lot of bottles of liquid okay bottles of liquid it was just half a it was a quart of milk in there and a couple other things that's it Uh, well, oh, anyway, God. that's our little, I guess, anime expo tidbit of our adventures. But yes, uh, the Muscles anime, I know a lot about it because obviously, um, you know, we, we post a lot about it and my f- roommate does really like it and she's like read the manga for it and stuff like that. So I know about it, but I never watched it because once again, exercise never just appealed to me. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I wish I was there to see that grocery bags and kind of the plastic bag stuck so I arrived <laughs> a little too late but that's totally fine um, it took them uh, for for reference for people who are like oh strong arming a plastic bag is nothing it took us a whole hour yeah it was to pretty get bad that plastic bag out <laughs> i picked them up at anime expo after we got our badges and that's when gracie's bag got snagged with the plastic inside the purse they spent the entire one hour car drive because we're driving from ax to our airbnb it's about an hour out and they could not take it out. And we got to the Airbnb. We still spent like another 15 minutes trying to finagle that thing out. So it was, it was, it was a disaster. And thank God Agnes saved the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun memory. Oh, man. Alrighty then. So I think it's your turn, Agnes. Um, You know, you are the originator of this topic today. And so I'm really curious to see what you have for us of your two pick. <laughs> For sure, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely picked this topic because 
for many of us who either studied STEM or watch a lot of anime and other like TV shows like House, uh, what's the other medical TV show that's popular in America? Dr. Grey? Grey? Oh, um, are you talking about like Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. There you go. Grey's Anatomy, House, you know, these types of things you think to yourself, like, I'm a medical practitioner, I know. And then when you sit down, you watch an anime that tries to convey science, you think to yourself, I don't even know if that's accurate. I don't even know if that's real. And you kind of look it up, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's Japan kind of finagling things with sci fi and scientific theories and stuff because. Oddly enough, Japan, when it comes to their story writing for sci-fi and a lot of other series that have science at its core, they tend to kind of be a little bit too specific and a little bit too theoretical. But then at one point, they kind of just lose it at the end. So I wanted to kind of use this podcast as a, as a highlight to talk about what animes are realistic in delivering actual educational material that people actually really like and or maybe kind of floundered in a couple places that you're like, oh... That's not maybe something that I that is really science. It's more like a pseudoscience. Or if there is a moment of science in a show that you never expected. Um, so the first one that I'm going to target is a very obvious one that I think a lot of people would know for uh, a podcast about science would be Dr. Stone. Um, for a disclaimer, I actually didn't watch Dr. Stone. I was in a weird period of my time where I was too focused on activities and school and I wasn't really watching a lot of anime, but I can definitely vouch that a lot of my peers within my STEM group, within my major, actually really like Dr. Stone. And one of them actually has his older sister as a biochemist. And so he would ask her a lot of these chemical things that they did in Dr. Stone and she'd be like, yeah, that, that's, that pretty much is accurate. Um... For instance, at the beginning of Dr. Stone, in the first couple episodes, humanity is currently petrified. They are turned to stone by some mysterious phenomenon. Nobody knows why. And generations later, I think like several thousand years later, one of the our main characters who was turned to stone suddenly wakes up. And he discovers that the reason why he f was able to break out of his petrification was because there was a natural forming, but very rare, nitric acid that was formed in caves and i was like oh that's really interesting like does nitric acid actually break rocks yes it actually can because it's extraordinarily corrosive um as a reagent and industry style um nitric acid like industry created nitric acid is potent enough to actually break through stone and things like that and so a lot of the concepts of dr stone were very heavily followed by people stem major people who were not watching stem and many of them agreed that it was pretty accurate science and you're probably thinking to yourself like wow how accurate can it actually be um especially because i gracie i am you're currently working on the Dr. Stone uh, special episode, right? Yes, I am and... almost done applying all the edits. <laughs> yeah, you're almost done applying all the edits. And from what I understand, like in the episode, the special episode, there was a lot of like really cool other science things that they talk about, like meteorology. Yes, and stuff. yes. And, mm -hmm. and I would say like the reason why Dr. Stone has such a strong basis in science and why it's so realistic and makes sense, especially from all the drawings and stuff, is because actually the original... Uh, artist for Dr. Stone Boichi, who's South Korean, who's originally South Korean and now based in Japan, he actually majored in physics. His original idea for majoring in physics was that so he could write realistic science fiction stories. Wow, so, that in so is he majored in something not related to writing just so he could write a particular genre. <laughs> Correct. Wow, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that, so that made me have like a lot of respect for Dr. Stone uh, during that period of time that I was not watching it because I was like, okay, this man actually knows his stuff. Like as a physics major, you're probably, you won't probably hit biology as much, 
which is probably why like uh, most of Doctor Stone's content is not biology like, based. And funnily like, enough, that's things. the parts I have I I take issue with sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so like you know, um, they there there are brief moments where they talk about making medicine stuff like that. That's more of a pharmaceutical biology side rather than a pure chemistry side. But a lot of the stuff that most physics majors would know ties very heavily with chemistry, how the universe forms, mathematical theories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that in itself is very realistic and pretty accurate to what we would have been taught in school as well. So I wanted to highlight Dr. Stone because I think it definitely deserves it. <laughs> so a funny story about Dr. Stone was, you know, at the beginning, you know, I talked about how I was a little nervous about this topic since overall I, my breadth of understanding of things isn't the best of it. I actually I actually struggled very hard in STEM classes and high school as well. So I, it goes all the way back. And then, and then it took until like five minutes before the podcast recording where I I was actually, you know, uh, applying edits to the Dr. Stowe Ryusui, Ryusui episode um, review that I was like, wait a minute, I could have picked this one as well if I wanted to. <laughs> and, so, and it just never occurred to me then. Uh, yeah, no, Dr. Stone is really fun. And I have a really, uh, and it's really funny with the protagonist. And it is really cool to see how like how inventions are made in particular things. So I didn't mention how funnily enough, my one gripe of the series is the more biological aspect. Because one thing that always stuck with me that I just cannot stop thinking about is like this woman who uh, this woman where Sukasa was like, you know, we don't need humanity and civilization to come back because, you know, this is better without like the corruption and stuff like that. And the woman was like, for sure. Like, why would I want like a sexist society back when you guys like desperately need me and la la la. And I was like, um, girl or person writing, I'm guarantee you as people who bleed every month that this is not the society they want to be in unless you immediately invent pads and painkillers for us because I'm just saying like that's not something any woman would ever say when they wake up and so uh so it's just like funnily enough it's the biological aspect that sometimes gets away that sometimes kind of irks me per se which are also ironically is the one science that I have a bit more knowledge of because I took more classes of it and so uh and so but overall it's really fun and I think um the 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 special episode I really really enjoyed as Agnes already knew from my review because it talked about meteorology and I think as a whole anything that like talks about how scary nature is and how genuinely we use science to try our best to face it because I can't say we conquer nature. I mean, we are very much still at the whims of nature a lot of times, whether it's earthquakes or tornadoes or other natural disasters. Or even now, like in Houston, there's kind of a rain drought, which is very odd for us because we're so used to rain here. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, we are still at the mercy of nature a lot of times, but science does does help us where our li- our entire lives aren't just like dependent on it. So, uh, so yeah, I did, I did like Doctor Stone a lot, and I really like the special episode. <laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, did, Isabel, did you have something to say oh, yeah. as well? I mean, I like Doctor Stone as well. I mean, obviously. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. I haven't seen, I think, the last two seasons or so. I, I definitely want to. It's just a little slower pace for me because of how how they're, you know, make, creating these things. But I, I really love how they broke it down. Like, I never thought of these things, you know, kind of like making food or making glass bottles. Like, 
I don't even know what these things are made out of sometimes, right? They're just there yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah. So breaking it down into like kind of the most natural properties and kind of like having that theoretical basis of how it could have been created and how we accelerated from like the Stone Age to the Industrial Age. Um, mm-hmm, it's so interesting mm-hmm. to see that, you know, with high schoolers, with Senku making these things up with all the knowledge that he has. Like, thank goodness he's a genius, right? <laughs> You're right, and it's kind of it's kind of nice to uh, watching Doctor Stone because you kind of get that sense of like wonderment, you know. In addition to all the science of figuring out how petrification works mm-hmm. and fighting off all these other societies that don't agree with you, there's that sense of like how can we recreate something that we would have had as a modern convenience using these like cavemen primitive tools and elements that are disposable. You know, right. it's kind of it's really interesting. It's like a very historical lesson too, I guess. Oh, I do want to say, um, you know how we were just talking about like t-shirts and like the fabric and how things are. Yes, the special episode talked about the science behind cloth, and so oh, oh there you because go. Because in the special episode, they make a hot air balloon and the cloth, you know, of the ah. yeah, and so the the people were just like, there is no way that a cloth can like bring us up into the sky and stuff. And Doctor Stowe or Senku was just like, actually, you know, cloth is a lot more sturdy than you would expect and they even went through the science behind the making of the cloth and why it worked that way so hearing you talk about like the way that the cotton cloths were interwoven the way that the t-shirts are made was giving me actual like deja vu because of that special (laughs) (laughs) if if only we could all be senku the world would be a better place (laughs) well i don't know because he also has his moments That's true. He also has his moments, yeah, that I didn't agree with in our last uh, Grey Morality episode Right, as well, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if that's your first pick, then what do you have for your second pick then? Okay, this is the, the really interesting one. I'm going to go way out left field okay. because no one's ever caught up at this point in our anime trending stuff except me and one of our other staff members. And that's One Piece. Really? Surprisingly. Okay. Yes. Okay. So in One Piece, in the very, very far half of One Piece, there is um, there are a lot of nefarious pirate groups and whatnot, and many of them have come together to create something called the Smile Fruit. As for many of the One Piece fans know, the smile fruit is very deadly. And for you guys, I'll go ahead and explain it. The si- the, so in One Piece, devil fruits exist. They are, you know, magical, mystical fruits that when you bite into it, and if you survive ingesting the fruit, you gain, like, these weird powers. So, like, Luffy, when he bites into his fruit, he's able to, you know, stretch his limbs and stuff, right? Or when um, Nico Robin ate her fruit, she's able to sprout, like, these magical arms that can do, like, a lot of throwing lock techniques, crack bones, and stuff like that. So it's really interesting how it works. For the more nefarious pirate side, for the big emperors, they decided that they wanted to create an bioengineered artificial fruit called the smile fruit, in which the smile fruit, instead of naturally occurring somewhere in the world, it would be engineered in a lab, and that they would take that fruit have their subordinates consume it and gain something of a similar status of supernatural powers and create a large mass army out of it. However, the problem with the smile fruit is that it comes with a lot of side effects. The side the, the smile fruit, unlike the devil fruit, where if you eat the devil fruit and you don't sur- and you don't gain the powers, you will actually die. You will perish. 
for the people who consume the smile fruit, if they do not gain the abilities, they're, uh, they have a side effect where they can only smile. Their facial expressions are frozen, they're unable to convey any kind of emotions and whatever, and are constantly stuck in the state of mass hysteria. They laugh uncontrollably even if they're crying or they're angry or outraged at something. And that plays into a huge proponent of politics in One Piece, where in the Wano country, there are many civilians who are starving from the effects of an oppressive government that is also being run in the background by these nefarious pirate groups. And as a result, they will take defective smile fruits and literally scattered it across the country so that when the starving people eat it, they are having the side effect of constantly smiling, giggling, and laughing, even though they are absolutely devastated as people. And as a result, because they're always smiling and, you know, unable to convey their true emotions, it portrays the country of Wano as a beautiful, happy country that does not have anything dark underneath it. It's extraordinarily nefarious with how they have all of that. And there's actually quite a bit of other science that's thrown into it, so... In the Nefarious Pirate Group, there is a um, a high-ranking pirate subordinate named Queen who is sort of like a weird hybrid of a scientist. And there's also Caesar the Clown, who's also a scientist. They came up with a lot of biological weapons to use in One Piece, which is completely unheard of at this point. So Caesar created a lot of poisons and gas because he actually ingested the um, uh, fruit that kind of makes him like gaspy, like gassy kind of in the way of like very wispy can avoid like dollar, um, bullets and stuff like that and also be able to expel a lot of noxious poisonous gases and he creates a lot of poisons from that and then queen creates a lot of bioengineered weapons in which he can fire a bullet and it can infect a person and turn them into basically like an ice sort of zombie and many of the characters in one piece in the final art currently have been afflicted with that bullet and so it was really interesting to see how one piece kind of combines that whole shonen battle with a lot of these biological engineered weapons and items that is currently changing the politics and the society and the culture of Wano itself. It's basically biological warfare, is that correct? Yes, it's biological warfare. Yes, correct. So I wanted to point that out because I thought it was really interesting how they introduced that. They even talked about when uh, One Piece's main doctor, Chopper, the little reindeer dude, he ends up trying to find concoct an antidote on the spot in the middle of a battlefield while trying to combat all of these um zombified people who have been affected by the um by the the biological weapon that queen shot them with and so he's out there with his his smaller team of scientists trying to pour trying to take like samples from the uh the infected people put them into various acids bases and stuff like that and try to create an antidote to counter it as well it's really funny because in the anime at one point when he does end up creating the cure for it he calls it i'm fighting a virus against your virus um based on at least the Crunchyroll subs which i found was kind of an interesting way to reference how we create antidotes for poison because an antidote is basically a lesser form of yes, poison, yes, but not necessarily a virus for a virus. So I was really interested in who actually subbed that part, but otherwise, it's super interesting in a show that is traditionally thought of kind of like more fantasy out it, of this world. It could also of. be a twist on fighting fire with fire, which is also um, was a solution that was 
proven through science because they realized that the only real way to stop a fire is that the fire doesn't burn anything that's already been burned. And so, uh, yeah, so it could also yeah. be a twist on that as well. <laughs> that's possible, yeah. Otherwise, like, the translation was kind of iffy, but the whole world building that Oda has for Wano Country, the smile fruit, and all of these biological warfare weapons was, like, a super interesting, like, science part to see in a show that is not science-based at all, or at least not that we know. I am really impressed and also kind of uh, scared in a good way about the biological warfare part because biological warfare is devastating. I think it's actually outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Correct. Yeah, because I know that biological warfare was used to wipe out entire kingdoms back in the like ancient days. So um, the Mongolian Empire, a little tidbit of history now. So the Mongolian Empire has the first recorded use of biological warfare. They were having a plague that was killing people within their ranks. And essentially, they were trying to overtake this kingdom. But the kingdom has extraordinarily good defensive walls. So they could not breach that kingdom no matter how hard they tried. So what they ended up doing is that they flung the corpse of the bodies of the people who died of the plague in their army across the walls into the kingdom and wiped out the entire kingdom that way. And that was how they defeated it. That's actually really frightening. Holy, I actually did not know yeah, that. <laughs> so, uh, so it is devastating. And this is why it is outlawed by international law. So... <laughs> Well, it's more outlawed because they started using things like mustard gas and stuff to smoke out yeah. a lot of people within the trenches for World War One, and there were a lot of other biological warfare elements that were used in later wars, even after the Geneva Convention, like Agent Orange right, and stuff like right, that, too, yes. which is extraordinarily noxious. It destroys a lot of parts inside of your body and can actually be passed on to your future generations through Yes, I remember well. reading about that in actually one of my science biology classes, so... <laughs> There you go. Uh, yeah, Isabel, did you have any thoughts about the whole thing? <laughs> no, I just thought it was really cool. I, I just have one question about the smile fruit yeah. itself. I don't know if they went over this, but when they were making it, did they combine like other demon fruits, like parts? We don't know that. Oh, okay. We don't know. We don't actually. Oh, currently in the anime, I don't think we know the full extent of how they create the smile fruit. Uh-huh. We just know that it's currently being mass produced and there's a lot of subordinates in the pirate groups that are consuming it to gain these kind of like pseudo powers that is not natural oh i see okay so it's not explained but we don't even at this point Mm -hmm. even manga readers because oda has not actually conveyed it yet he's going to convey it in his final arc after he's done with his hiatus we don't even know how the devil fruit forms oh right okay specifically yeah and how it acquires these types of powers so even that sort of like um what is it? It's not zoology, um, the botany, that kind of like botany side of One Piece. We still even, don't even know about it. Got it. Okay. So it's to be determined, I see. Yes, to be determined. Or as they say in the One Piece credits, to be continued. <laughs> That's how the, the logo looks like. Alrighty then. Well, I think that sums up our talk about, you know, science and anime. Interestingly enough, none of us picked examples of bogus science that we weren't happy with. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think at one point it, it goes too far that everyone's just like, yeah, that's kind of bogus. Science. Yeah, it's magic at that. this point. So <laughs> I think that's always a point where just like it's magic. But yeah, so I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us talk about the science behind things. And I've definitely learned new things. I hope you guys have learned new things as well listening to us talk. And, you know, of course, we'll be back with another fun topic next week. So I hope you will be here with us next time. 
Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.